Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increasing of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice, with righteousness, from, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you, Zion. So what Zion just read for us is very fitting, coming from the book of Isaiah, uh, because that's what we're going to actually be in this morning. So we are taking a little break from our Matthew series. Um, because of the Advent season, we were um, taking a little break and wanting to focus on four themes. And so this morning, we're going to talk about hope and what uh, biblical hope looks like. We're also going to look at joy and love and peace, and I don't know if that's the exact order, um, but we're going to be looking at those various themes as we uh, celebrate and look forward to the birth of Jesus. And it basically comes down to this, that, that Jesus brings these four gifts into the world in a unique way. It's in a unique way, and so that's why we really want to focus on, on those three themes. So this morning, though, if you want to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11, we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to connect it with hope in some way. Now, as you read through this passage, you're going to try to look for that word hope. It's not there, but this this passage, there's, there's something there in this passage. There's something that God is speaking that should give us hope. So before we read it, though, um, I just want to share with you a couple of quotes that, uh, that, that people in our day uh, throughout our history have, um, have said about hope. And I kind of want to compare and contrast those with how the Bible describes hope. And so here's, here's the first one. In fact, hope is best gained after defeat and failure because then inner strength and toughness is produced. Right? So it's this picture of what hope does for a person. It, it provides inner strength and, and toughness to, to continue on. Here's another one. Hope smiles from the threshold of the year to come, whispering it will be happier. 
So it's kind of like this, hey, don't worry. I know no things look troublesome today, but just look forward to the future. It, it'll be happier. Or here's another one. We must vote for hope, vote for life, vote for a brighter future, vote, all of our, vote for all of our loved ones. I don't, I don't know when that one takes place, that voting time, um, but let me know when I can vote for hope because that will be one I want to vote for. Here's another one. Hope is the companion of power and mother success. For whoso hopes strongly has within him the gift of miracles. So as, as we read through those, there's, there's this kind of picture of one, and you can definitely see that um, they've kind of separated hope from, from God or from God's word. It's, it's more of an inner thing that produces inner strength or, or um, looking toward the future for hopefully that it'll be a little brighter. Um, and there may be some truth in some of these quotes. However, we want to understand hope through a biblical perspective. And so the question is, how does God's word talk about hope? And that's, that's what we're going to go through today. Uh, what is hope from a biblical perspective? And so let me just give you, I'm going to just start with the definition, okay, that kind of summarizes uh, what the scriptures, how, this descri- uh, how the scriptures describe it. So hope, biblically, hope comes from confidence in the trustworthiness of God keeping his promises. Hope comes from Confidence in the trustworthiness of God, keeping his promises. So a great example of this comes from the book of Exodus. The Hebrews in that time, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. They were crying out to the Lord in their bondage and God heard their cries. And he raised up a leader, Moses, to be the prophet and leader who would bring the Hebrews out of slavery into the land that they would call their own. Now, the Hebrews faced much opposition from the Pharaoh in Egypt, and so God sent 10 plagues over a period of time to break the will of Pharaoh. And so in the end, Pharaoh relented and allowed the Hebrews to go. And so throughout this time, Moses is communicating to the Israelites, God is with you, okay? He's going to lead you out of Egypt. He's going to make this happen. And and we see this happen, and the Israelites see this happen as all these wild, natural, uh, unnatural plagues come to pass, right? The sea turns to blood red, and um, moths come and devour everything, or... um, uh, yeah, uh, diseases or the very last plague was, was the, um, the firstborn were killed, died. And so all these plagues come and it's these signs that God is faithful in his promise. He's going to make this happen. And then he actually does make it happen. Pharaoh lets them go. And so they leave. And here's the wild thing about it. They don't just leave. They actually um, plunder Egypt. They leave with all the gold and, uh, and silver, 
um, you know, all kinds of um, treasures from the Egyptians. And then Pharaoh regrets what he does. He goes after them, right? And then we have the miracle of the Red Sea being parted, right? And the Israelites go through. And then when the Egyptian army goes through, the waters close around them. And he def- basically, God conquers the army of Egypt. They, they defeat Egypt and they go on the other side. And so there's these signs of God's faithfulness. He's the one that's taking them out of Egypt. He's leading them to the promised land. And so throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, you will read of prophets and teachers reminding the Israelites of these great feats that took place during the time of Exodus. And what what they're doing there is reminding the Israelites that God is faithful to his word. What he speaks is true and it will come to pass. He is faithful in his promises. So Lamentations speaks of this. Chapter 3, verses 22 through 24 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. This is truth being spoken. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful in his promises. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, uh, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I will hope in him because he is faithful. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Why can we hold fast the confession of our hope? It's because he who promised is faithful. So throughout the New Old Testament and the New Testament, you will hear the accounts of Exodus about how God has had led his people out of Egypt and it's pointing to this truth and we see it repeated time and time again that God is faithful to his promises. They will come to pass. They will come to pass. So hope comes again, hope comes from confidence in the trustworthiness of God keeping his promises. Now we will see in Isaiah that God He's going to make a promise. God is going to make a promise in our passage. And we're going to look at how it comes to fruition. So let's read together Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. If you would stand with me in honor of the word, I will read it. And you can just follow along. This is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. They shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. 
And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk through this passage together, Lord, we, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us what is the hope, what the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, would you show this in this prophecy that was given long ago in the book of Isaiah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You shall be seated. You may be seated. You shall be seated. Sorry, I'm... I'm Speaking like I'm Isaiah or something, stuck in Isaiah. Well, let me give you a little bit of context with Isaiah because we, we're really jumping into this. So, Isaiah is during the time, he's a prophet, during the time of the kings, okay? So, if you, if you think about this, um, Israel comes out of Egypt, they get into the land, and when they, when they obtain the, hand, the land, they don't start with a king. Um, they're just kind of on their own. They're doing their own thing. But what happens is, is they start to turn away from God. And because of that, there were problems. There were enemies that would come and attack them. And, and they didn't really have a good leadership structure. And so they would cry out to the Lord, and the Lord would bring a judge. They called them judges back then. The judge would fight for, or the, uh, the judge would amass an army of Israel and fight for Israel, okay? And so they would fight for Israel, and they, they would conquer their enemies, and then Israel would turn away again. And so enemies would come, and then another judge would have to rise, and they would defeat their enemies, and then they would fall back into sin. And so then the enemies would come back. And so there was this, this circle that, or the cycle that would go on and on and on. And so finally, the Israelites said, would you just, how about if you just give us a king, establish for us a king like the other nations, and, and maybe we, wouldn't, we would uh, kind of get out of the cycle. And so that's when the king's uh, um, God established a king. The first one was Saul, and that one didn't work out too well. So they established David as king, and then after him, Solomon, and, and then it continues on. But here's the interesting thing. That cycle didn't necessarily end. What would happen is, is these kings, these kings that would lead, some of them, yes, would be good, but a lot of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They would they would cause the Israelites to turn away from the Lord. They would allow idol worship to take place, and they would put these uh, 
these uh, poles of worship on top of these mountains and, and worship these idols and these false gods. And so th- the cycle continued of sin till finally God said, I've had enough. You have not followed my laws like I've called you to, like you've said that you would follow the laws. And so now there's going to be judgment. And so then he brought in prophets, and one specifically was Isaiah. And so during the time of the kings, when, when Israel was, was at a very low point, when they uh, were turned away from the Lord, Isaiah comes and he pronounces judgment upon Israel. And he says, your enemies are going to come. They're going to take away the land. God's going to take away the land through your enemies. And it's not going to be it's not going to be fun. There's going to be much suffering. There's going to be much pain. And it's because of your sin. But then there are times when, as he's pronouncing these judgments, but he says, it will be for a time, but God is going to show mercy and grace to you. And he'll describe that. And then he'll come back and remind them of judgment again, and then come back and remind them of mercy and grace. So when we're looking at chapter 11... This is a portion where he is giving or showing them uh, mercy and grace. God is revealing to him, you know what? Yes, you're going to go through times of trouble and it's going to be painful, but this is, there's going to be grace. And it's in a promise. So look at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This, this is the promise. This is going to take place in the future in the time of uh, Isaiah preaching and prophesying. Okay? So the question is, is, what is, what does he mean by the stump of Jesse? Okay, who's Jesse and why does he have a stump? So if we go back to the kings, remember the first king was Saul. He didn't work out very well. And so he uh, raised up King David. Jesse is the father of David. So if you remember back um, Samuel, who was the last judge. So the time of the judges, Samuel was the last judge And God went to him and said, I want you to anoint a king. So go to the house of Jesse. He's got all these sons and you are to anoint one of his sons. And we know that story of of, um, David being out um, in the fields. And so as he goes through all the sons, there's one missing. Um, No one's anointed yet. Bring the youngest son to me. It happens to be David. He's anointed and he becomes king. And it's David that's going to usher in the golden age of Israel. So David uh, wars against Israel's enemies, and at the very end of his life, it states that there is peace in the land of Israel. There's no more enemies to fight. And King David says, well, I'm, I'm done fighting. Maybe I should start building. So he builds for him a house, for himself a house, then he, built, he wants to then also build a temple for God. 
And so he goes to Nathan the prophet. Hey, I, I got this wonderful building project I want to do uh, for the Lord. And uh, he asks permission, and Nathan says, hey, I think it's good. Go for it. But God says, no, you're not going to build me a house. Um, later, your, your offspring will build me a house, but, but instead of you blessing me, I'm going to bless you. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we've talked about this in our previous series in the book of Matthew, because this is really important. God makes a covenant with David. And he says, David, because of your faithfulness to me, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. There will be one that's going to come that will reign on the throne. And, that, and, and it'll be a reign that is eternal. It'll be forever. So this promise is already out there. And then all of a sudden, so, so that's in the time of David. Now fast forward to Isaiah's time when things look bleak and God is going to take away the nation from Israel. Okay? And he uses an allegory or an image of a tree, right? And, and basically, um, God chopping down that tree. And all that's left is a stump. Doesn't look good. But guess what? There's a stump. And that stump has roots. And with that stump, there's still life. And that's exactly what Jesus or what the prophet of Isaiah is talking about here. That there is, even though these terrible things are going to happen, the nations will be taken from you, there is hope. There is hope. There will be one that will come from the descendant of David that will reign forever. So that's, that's kind of what he's talking about here. And if you, if you think about this, actually, if we go way back to our series on Daniel, remember our series on Daniel? There's a time when this, uh, well, okay, so after Isaiah, you fast forward a little bit more to the book of Daniel where this stuff actually happens. The nation of Israel is defeated and the people of Israel dispersed and Daniel is in Babylon and he's, he's under the king of Babylon who's Nebuchadnezzar. So it's, it's Nebuchadnezzar who's reigning over all. And a dream comes, or uh, God comes to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream, and he dreams this dream of this giant tree that gets chopped down. The branches get stripped down, the, the tree gets chopped down, and, and he wakes up and he's, he's worried and he's um, a bit anxious about it. And so he calls in Daniel. Daniel, can you interpret this dream? And Daniel goes, uh, It's bad news. That tree is the nation. That's you over this nation. It's getting chopped down. Your throne is going to be taken from you because you're so boastful. But, but in the dream, he, he drummed this, that the stump, there was a stump that was left. And so Daniel says, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will reestablish your kingdom. And that is the hope. That stump that was left that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about is that hope. So this is exactly what 
is taking place with Isaiah as well. So, so this image of a tree being chopped down, there's a stump there. And Isaiah is prophesying that it's out of the stump of Jesse, out of the line, out of the descendants of Jesse to David to Solomon and the rest of the kings, out of that line will rise up one who's going to come. This is the hope. And then it continues on to describe what this descendant is going to be like. Okay? So I use this, uh, this picture um, in our Sunday school class when we're talking about this passage. You know, like uh, if somebody witnesses a crime, they're an eyewitness of it, and so they go to the police station and somebody asks them to do a, a, um, describe them and they do a sketch of that person. What is that person like? Is he tall? Is he short? You know, um, big, small? What was he wearing? What's his features like? And, and they can kind of sketch out a rough image of what this person is, who this person is. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. He gives this promise, this descendant that's going to come, this branch that's going to come, and now he's going to sketch out what this descendant looks like. So let's look at this, verse 2 and 3. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Whoa. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit, now he's going to describe the Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So the Spirit is going to rest on this descendant or this coming king. Not too long ago, we, we looked at this part of the prophecy being fulfilled, actually. So if we go back to our Matthew series, Matthew chapter 3. You know, this is really interesting how these things tie together because if you even go back to Matthew chapter 1, remember what Matthew chapter 1 is? It's the lineage starting with Abraham and it makes its way through David through the Babylonian captivity, all the way to Jesus, this descendant. So this descendant that comes, Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, um, this is when Jesus comes to John the Baptist, okay, and he's going to get baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so we see from the very beginning of Isaiah 11 that this promise given through the prophecy, it refers to Jesus. He is a direct descendant of Jesse, and we see that the Spirit of God rests upon him. We also see, not just in Matthew, but in the other three Gospels, that Jesus fulfills the rest of this prophecy as well. So if you read this prophecy, and then you go and you read all four Gospels, you're going to see how, how they all connect and how Jesus fulfills this 
prophecy. So specifically, if we look at uh, the, the next half of verse 3 through 5, look at verse 3 through 5. It says, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So let me back up here and explain what's going on. He shall not judge by his eyes or decide disputes by his ears to hear. Friends, that's how we tend to judge by what we see with our eyes, what we hear with our ears. It's so easy to uh, um, judge incorrectly by what we see and what we hear. Why? Because just by our eyes and ears, we do not see or hear the intentions of the heart. We don't see in the heart what is actually taking place when we see people's actions or hear people's words. And I think this is what, what's kind of being drawn out here. And actually, as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, that's precisely what Jesus is addressing as well, right? But it's not about the outward appearance, but it is within the heart. And if you continue on, and I, it's probably in Matthew, I know it's in the other Gospels, where, where Jesus talks about that, that we cannot see what's in the heart. Only God can. He knows what's really there. And guess what? This branch, this promised descendant, knows as well. Because he's not judging by his own eyes or by his own ears. He's going to judge from what is in the heart. And it says here, specifically, that he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, the rod of his mouth, and with breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. So this imagery of this branch pouring forth justice with his mouth and the breath of his lips is basically describing for us his words and that they have power. His words have power his words divide what is good from what is evil. He gives peace and comfort to the poor and the meek, and by his word he pours forth judgment upon the wicked. The point is that this promised one who is to come has a unique authority when it comes to his words. His words have power. It has authority like we have never seen before. So we also go back to the book of Matthew and we see this played out because after the Sermon on the Mount, right? We're still in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount here. But at the end of chapter seven, the crowds and the disciples, when they walk away from his teaching, will be astonished because his words had authority like they've never heard before. They, they've never heard it come from a scribe. 
their teachers or their Pharisees, their teachers and leaders, that kind of authority they've never heard before. And if, if you continue on and read through either Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, you will see that his authority through his words comes out in so many different ways. It comes when he speaks to demons and casts them out, when he's healing the sick, when he's calming storms. It is by his word that the authority comes and whatever he speaks to, it obeys. It obeys. So this is a description of this descendant and what he is like and his attributes Specifically, when he speaks, he speaks with power. So, this promise given long ago is fulfilled in Jesus. And this is why we celebrate Jesus' birth. 2,000 years ago, in a little town called Bethlehem, a child was born in an animal trough. It was not a grand entrance into the world. His parents weren't wealthy. They weren't famous. They they were nothing special. They were ordinary people, and it was an ordinary night. But God fulfills his promise. The hope for the world was born on that day. That's what we celebrate. When we celebrate Christmas, when when we celebrate together, this is what we're celebrating God's promise fulfilled in this little child, in this baby on that night. So what does that mean for us today? How do we find hope in Jesus, the one that was promised long ago? So number one, we hope in the salvation that comes from the birth and the life and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It all starts at the birth and the fulfillment of promise, but it continues on through his life, death, and resurrection. You see, we are found to be sinners, and it's through our father Abraham, or through our father Adam, that we are made sinners. And since we are all descendants of him, we we fall short of the glory of God and we are unable to fulfill the law just like the Israelites. We're we're just the same. Just like the Israelites, we are unable to fulfill the law and we are found to be guilty under the law. Therefore, we are condemned under the law and are sentenced to eternal separation from God. But there is a hope. We have a hope, a hope which was born when a child was born, a hope which stood firm even when the child became a man and died on the cross, hope which was confirmed when that same man rose again on the third day. Our hope is in Christ, in Christ alone. And so, as we read through this prophecy, chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 
11 verses 1 through 6, we can see it being fulfilled in the one who was born, Jesus Christ, on Christmas Day. We can see it being fulfilled there. However, that is not only where our hope lies. We, don't, we just don't look back to the fulfillment that took place when Jesus was born for our hope. We also look to what Jesus is going to accomplish for us in the future. So let's read Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through, kind of messed this up here, 10. Correct, thank you. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall graze, they sh- their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So friends, not only do we find hope in looking to the past and seeing how God is faithful in his promises, but we also look towards the future promises he gives to those who put their faith in Jesus. Jesus himself promised that he will be coming back. He will be coming back and that he will bring peace to all those who put their faith in him. So this has been prophesied long ago in Isaiah and Jesus affirms it and promises it to us in the Gospels. So for example, and in the New Testament and the rest of the New Testament. So Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Listen to this promise. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Friends, in this time, there is suffering. There is pain. There is hurt that we experience. But listen to this promise. It's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For right now, Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay, that's a mouthful. This is just creation so far that we're talking about. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for what? 
We wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. In this hope for the redemption of our bodies, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Friends, where are we putting our hope? And I guess we can ask, are we patiently waiting for it? Where is our hope? We know that God is faithful in his promises. So when we look at the New Testament, we look at the book of Romans, and when he gives these promises of adoption as sons and bodies that will be redeemed, this is a promise that's been given. Is God trustworthy in his promises? Absolutely. Therefore, do we hope in them? Is that where our hope lies? Do we believe in these promises? Because it's in these promises that we find hope. Romans chapter 15, 11 through 13 says this, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So this hope in this, uh, this one, this descendant that's going to come from the line of Jesse, that's not just for the Israelites. It's for all of us. Through all time. Verse 13, may the hope of God, or may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the hope we find in Jesus. He is the branch prophesied long ago that will bring about a new heaven and a new earth, a time where there will be peace, a time where Isaiah chapter 11 verses 6 through 10 will be fulfilled. Revelation talks about this time, this time, verse, uh, chapter 21, verses one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' birth brings hope to the world. It brings hope to the world. There's no other solution or remedy for the plight of man. Jesus had, been born, had to be born. He had to die for our sins so that we might live and find salvation 
in him. And this is why we pause and we reflect on the birth of Jesus. It's a focal point for the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's a testament that God is faithful in his promises. It's what strengthens our hope in a dark world. So again, where do you look for hope? Do you find hope in the powers of men or the comforts of this world? Do you find hope in financial success or security or maybe in your physical health? in your physical health. All these things are fleeting. All these things will pass away. If your hope is in anything in this world or this world offers, your hope will soon turn to despair. Our only hope is in Christ, the King, who will reign on his throne forever. With that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, help us remember why we celebrate Christmas. There's so many things going on in our world. There's so many things we can reflect upon in these past several years and Boy, we've gone through a lot. Many of us are still going through quite a lot. Lord, and I think through it, we have learned that, boy, we can't, we can't place our hope in this world. So, Father, this, this time, as, as we're celebrating the birth of Christ, Would you draw our eyes upon you and what you have done for us, the promises that are fulfilled through Jesus. And it took him to be born as a baby. And it started, it starts everything. It's it's the trajectory of of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and what that means for the future that his kingdom will be fully established where there will be no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. Lord, that's, that's where we find hope. And so, Lord, may we celebrate your faithfulness through Jesus being born this season, we pray in his name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.